Well, Mother's Day is a day that a lot of times we spend our time uh, honoring and blessing and and all of those we should be doing. And too often when we get to Father's Day, we just we get beat up the fathers. <laughs> We're not going to beat up the mothers today, but we are going to uh, be a little more instructive um, than than just what we usually do. Um, Morrow Graham, who is the mother of Billy Graham, said one time concerning Mother's Day that she didn't want to be congratulated as much as she wanted it to be a day of soul searching in her life, that she might gain a new awareness of the role that God had given her. Now, today you might not gain a new awareness you might gain a reinforced awareness that you already knew, or, or maybe you just are reminded of what you already knew. But we want to talk today about a mother's mission, because every time God brings a woman into motherhood, there's a mission involved. Now, let me just add here at the front, and I'll, I will finish up talking a little bit about spiritual motherhood. Let me just uh, say here that if you have influence on a child, then in essence you're a mother. You're not a birth mother, but you can offer motherhood to to uh, children, grandchildren, and so forth. And again, we'll finish up talking a little more about spiritual motherhood. But we want to talk about uh, the role that God has given a mother and the mission that you have uh, in so doing. Uh, Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, I know there are times when you're pulling your hair out and you're chasing kids all over the house and you're cleaning up, and they're messing up as faster than you can clean up. I know that sometimes they don't feel like a reward. But the fact is, at the end of the day, the fruit of the womb is a reward. It goes on to say, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. When we leave this earth, what do we have to leave behind as a legacy? Will it be our education? Will it be our bank account? Will it be our status in the community? Will it be the power that we wield in our world? Is that what we're going to leave behind? What we're going to leave behind is our children and our grandchildren and the impact they make on the culture, praying that we're making an impact today. The mission of a mother is the sharpening of those arrows, the sharpening of those arrows that are launched out into society to make an impact into the world in cooperation with the father. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Um, it is a fact that a marriage is between a man and a woman. And the man and the woman make up the father and the mother. Now, I understand there's, you know, there's single moms and all that stuff. I understand all that. I'm just telling you. What, what biblically we see as the ideal. And the ideal is for a man to marry a woman and them to have children. 
and he offers fatherhood and she offers motherhood. And I'll say to you that a, a healthy child, a healthy, everybody say healthy. And I don't mean physically, although that's important too. But a healthy child is often the product of a godly father and a godly mother working together. There are things that we need from our fathers. And there are things we need from our mothers. And when one of them is missing, there, then there has to be some ground made up. I'll hasten to add, I know of many situations that God has provided a special grace, especially to single mothers who are basically raising their children on their own. Or in my case, my own mother was basically a single mother when it came to the faith because my father, although he was a good man, a good provider, a good father, and I suppose a good husband. I don't know. My parents were married 59 years when he passed away. But she she raised three boys in the church. With my dad was uh, not a Christian until I was sixteen years old, so I didn't have a, a a Christian father. I had a good man for a father, but my mother took the on the burden of bringing us three boys to church. I told you recently. She said I was in church when I was two weeks old. I don't remember that, <laughs> but. but uh, and it wasn't about being in a building. I mean, at the time, she probably thought it was, but that, it wasn't about being in a building, but it was about being in a community. And, and we grew up in that. And today, all three of us, my brothers and I, uh, we serve the Lord in our own ways and are all born-again Christians following Jesus Christ. Now, they're going to Baptist churches. I'm still praying for them. But uh, I'm just kidding. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. Uh, but... Uh, but so I know that that there's a grace for single mothers, but I want to tell you what the Scripture says, and the Scripture says that a really healthy child needs the influence of the father and the mother. Our problem in our culture, and maybe we'll talk about this on Father's Day, our problem in our culture is that we're too often missing the father rather than the mother, and, and that causes problems. And so, mothers, your mission, your main mission, is that you're making a contribution to the kingdom in preparing uh, these arrows to launch out into society. You're, you're making a, a very important and weighty contribution as you prepare your children to be launched out into the culture with kingdom values and kingdom ideals and, and worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We said a few weeks ago, we need to make sure that we don't separate the kingdom from the king. We do that. We can do that if we don't watch it. But that's what we want. The finished product, and there's never a finished product, is that they would be launched into society for the kingdom. We're going to turn to Proverbs 31. And we're not going to read the passage that you think we're going to read. Uh, but we're going to read the instructions that King Lemuel received from his mother, and many people, including myself, believe that King Lemuel is actually Solomon. And he uh, he says in, so- in Proverbs 31, if you would stand while we read the first nine verses of this proverb. And it says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So this is what Bathsheba, we believe, taught Solomon. What are you doing, my son? 
<laughs> How many of you mothers want to say, say that? What are you doing? What in the world are you doing? I saw a picture of a kid recently with big old eyes. I mean, just looked like scared to death. And underneath it, it said, when your mother calls you by your full name. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women. Solomon needed to hear that a little earlier. Your, your ways to those who destroy kings. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute or those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth or judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. You can be seated. Interesting instructions here from his mother to... to Live a life of purity. To live a life abstaining from that which God has not prescribed. To live a life of sobriety. To not be controlled by a substance. To not be given to a substance that would cause one to say things, do things, go places that one would not normally do. Uh, because we know that alcohol... Uh, lowers, if not removes, our inhibitions, and we wind up doing things and saying things that we wouldn't normally do without the help of some substance. He, she talks about being clear, having clarity in life. She talks about to him about speaking on behalf of those who cannot speak. Now, I'll tell you today, uh, the, the largest group of people, the pe largest people group, that I know of that needs us to speak on their behalf because they can't speak for themselves are unborn babies. And if mothers, I know you do, but I'm going to tell you what the scripture says uh, that one of your roles and one of your, the father's roles is to speak on the behalf of unborn babies because they cannot speak for themselves. And this is the heart we're looking for, not just a list. We're not just looking for a checklist. We're looking for the heart of this because she, she also tells him to be, be the advocate of the poor and the needy, those who have left less than us. Uh, it is not for the government to take care of the poor and the needy. It is for the, it's for the people of God to do that. It is not for the government to take your money and give it to somebody else. I'm not running for president, by the way, so just, I'm just telling you, it is not the government's role to take your money and give it to somebody else. It's, it's the role of God to move on your heart and my heart and to give out of our resources to help people and not rely on a government institution, whether that be federal, state, or local. Hmm. Teaching is the big, one of the largest parts of a mother's role. And we see an example here of Solomon's mother teaching him. And teaching how, not only how to live, but teaching him about life. Teaching him what will keep him out of trouble. Which again, he could use a lot more of that. Um, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You must continue in the things which you have learned, been assured of, 
knowing from whom you have learned them. It's important that we know from whom we have learned the Scriptures and the ways of life. I will tell you there that the word whom, W-H-O-M, in the Greek text is a plural term. Why is it a plural term? Go to the, go to the, not the next slide, William. Go one more. I'm getting out of order, I know. This is, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So we know that the whom, the plural whom that Paul's talking about is his, is the grandmother and the mother. So grandmothers, there's a role for you in this as well. You don't quit. When your kids move out of the house, you're still involved in teaching and instructing. Go back to the one just before that now, William. It says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is Jesus Christ. If you do, Mothers, if you do nothing else for your children, and that is that you would teach them to love the Scriptures. Teach them the Scriptures but teach them to love the Scriptures and the truth of the Scriptures. I remember as a child, my mother was constantly reading us the Bible and teaching us what little she... Later on, she was asking me to teach her. But at this point, she was teaching us. And I told you the story how that my mother was my Sunday school teacher. Every year, they would move me up. I think they call it from primary to intermediate. When you got a little older, guess what my mother did? She moved up with me. And then when they moved us from intermediates to junior, my mother moved up with me. Now, I had a little brother. She didn't teach his class. She taught my class. After a few years, I figured that thing out. Why my mother kept being my Sunday school teacher. But somehow, even outside Sunday school class, she was teaching me to love the scriptures. And I didn't know a lot about the scriptures when I was a child, but I knew one thing, they were really important in my life. And they were really important in everybody else's life. So if you do nothing else, please teach your children to love the scriptures, to embrace the scriptures, and to to embrace the truth that the scriptures teach us. And... uh, The second part of a mother's mission, and it's very similar. I talked about this not long ago, and we're just going to call this pointing. Okay, everybody point. It's not nice. It's not nice pointing. Didn't your mom ever teach you anything? It's pointing. And we touched on this a while back, but the Scripture says, Proverbs 1, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. In one version, some of your versions there will say your mother's law. Don't forsake your mother's teaching or your mother's law, for they are a graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. So one of the roles in pointing, and we'll get to that in a minute, is transferring the knowledge of God to the next generation. If you want to be a failure as a mother, Some of you think, well, I'm a failure now. No, you're not. If you want to be a failure as a mother, do not transfer the knowledge of God to the next generation. Because I've heard people say, well, I just want them to decide for themselves. No. Don't let them decide for themselves. They're your children. God put them in your house for a reason. And that reason is that you can transfer your knowledge of God to them. 
So they grow up knowing God and loving God. And they'll thank you for it. And as I said earlier, fathers and mothers share this responsibility. But today's Mother's Day. So that's what we're talking about. Now, the word teaching in that verse, or in maybe your Bible, the word law, is the word Torah. T-O-R-A-H. It derives uh, its meaning from the from the word yara, which means to shoot out the hand. It's pointing to show, to indicate. It means more than just law is what we usually translate that as. But it means to point. And that's why I had you point a while ago. Um, yara, or yara, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, begins with the letter Y, which is the picture letter of a hand. So what your role, what your mother, you're teaching, your mothers, you're teaching, or the law that you're, you're communicating to your children is pointing in a, in a direction. It's pointing the way for your children. You're identifying a path for your children. So you're not just teaching them the scriptures. You're identifying a path for your children and your grandchildren to follow the rest of their lives. A very familiar verse that we quote often in Proverbs, and I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified, is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we we have always kind of translated that verse, not so wrong really, that, you know, teach them the right things now, and when they get old, if they backslide, they'll come back. Well, that's I think that's probably true, but that's really not what the writer was talking about here. And the Amplified sort of captures the real truth of this verse. The pulpit commentary says this, to initiate a child in accordance with his way. Train up a child, train up a child in the way he should go. He should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Initiate a child in accordance with his way. The Hebrew clause here, in this passage, literally means initiate a child at the opening or the mouth of his path. The opening of his path. Initiate a child to the opening of his path. Point in the right direction and place the child at the opening of the path and help them follow that path. Point. That's the way you should go. Don't be ashamed and don't worry about telling your children which way they should go. Please tell your children. Which way they should go. They may not always do it, but you please do it. Please show them. The word in this passage for train up is, is literally means to develop a thirst. Cause them to become thirsty for that path. Uh, I heard a story one time, going back to what Don said. Uh, salesman, sales, uh, the sales manager said to the salesman, Hey, your sales are horrible. We need to, we got to figure out some way to get your sales up. And the salesman said, Well, you know, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. And the sales manager said, But your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. <laughs> Mothers, your job is to make your children thirsty for the path for which God has bent them towards. Hang on. By the way, my favorite book by Max Licato is a book called The Cure for the Common Life. And he talks about this very topic in that book. So I would recommend reading that book. Um, 
And what we're talking about is that a child is, when he is born, he or she is born, is already bent, everybody say bent, by God. He's already bent by God, and he's bent in the way that he should go. He's pointed in a direction. He or she's made in a way, gifted in a way. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. In every child God places in our arms, there is a bent, a set of characteristics already established. The bent is fixed and determined before he is given over to our care. The child is not, in fact, a pliable piece of clay. He has been set. He has been bent. And the parents who want to train this child correctly will discover that bent. So sometimes we're taught, and I've got a statement about that in a moment. Sometimes we're taught, like he said, there's just a pliable piece of clay, and God gives them to us. Do you know who they belong to? Yeah, they don't belong to us. They belong to God. And if they're God's, doesn't it make sense to you that he would bend them in a certain way that he wants them to go with different giftings and different visions and different abilities and capabilities that when God made you, when you were born, he had you, he already had shaped you and bent you in a certain way and your mother hopefully helped you find that path. Okay, you're awfully quiet. And that's this, this is the statement. Don't see your child as a blank slate, as awaiting your pen, but as a written book awaiting your study. Remember, who is the author of this book? So our job is not to to write the book because God's already written the book. Our job is not to write the content of the book. God's already written the content of the book. Our job, your job as mothers, is to determine through prayer and seeking God... What is the path? Where is the mouth, the opening for this child? And which direction should they go? And you point. That's the law. That's the teaching that points. And if you'll do that, you'll never be a failure as a mother. I don't care what they do or which way they go. Teach them the path. Another thing that mothers are given to, fathers too, fathers in many ways are, are should be the primary version of this, but mothers are given to, to do discipline and correction. We don't like this part, and especially children don't like this part. Truth is, none of us do. But the Scripture is very clear. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he's not going to die. He's going to think he's going to die, but he's not going to die. Lord, help me. When you see that passage, and you see that it says a rod of correction will drive it far from him. If you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You've got to know that that's not talking about beating. It's not talking about abuse. It's not talking about injuring. It's talking about 
given a reminder of what the path looks like, which direction the path is, and more importantly, in that particular situation, which way the path isn't. Once again, please don't adopt a philosophy that says, well, I'm just going to let them do what they want to do so that they can go their own way. I don't want, I don't want to in, interfere in their lives. You interfered in their lives the day you bore them. The day they jumped out and said, hey, I'm here, mama. Which we all know that's not the way it works. But <laughs> that day, you, inter- you became part of their life. By God's word and help. It's interesting that the, in verse chapter 9, 29, 15, gets his own way. It said, what did it say? But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his own mother. Gets his own way is a word that means to be sent away or abandoned. I remember when I was a, a boy, uh, we had a neighbor, a neighbor kid boy. Uh, we were just about the same age. He was a smidgen older than me. We, we hung out some. We wasn't a lot. But we noticed that he would be, we lived one block apart. We would notice he'd be wandering the neighborhood all hours of the day, all hours of the night. There's absolutely no way, because we didn't have cell phones, young people remember back then. Well, anybody, we couldn't just pull it out of your pocket and call somebody. You had to yell across. Anyway, he would be wandering all over the place, and there was no way on earth his mother or his father could know where he was or what he was doing. And I'd get mad at my mom. Mom, why can't I? She said, his mother doesn't know where he is, but I'm going to know where you are. Because they'd send me up the road to a friend's house to play. Or not send me, but let me go. And I'd say, how long? Be back in 30 minutes. Have you ever tried to play for 30 minutes? (laughs) If it was really, was doing really good, she'd say, you can come back in an hour. Be back here in an hour. She knew where I was, was, and she knew where I better be. When she said I was going to be there. And if I wasn't, the other verses I just read, remember those? I didn't die. This fella, I just, I kept watching this as we grew up and we got to be teenagers and he just had no boundaries. And you know, my mother would say, really, the truth is probably what it is, is she don't care where he is as long as he's not around her and under her feet. Other than that, I don't care where you go. He died in prison for first-degree murder. And his daddy also died in prison for first-degree murder. When a child gets his own way. And what happened was, he was abandoned. And he had a place to sleep every night. He had a home to go to every night. But he was abandoned. He was sent away. Get out of here. And he was abandoned. The Albert Barnes commentary says it this way. The the definition is the condition of one who has been pampered and indulged. The mother who yields weakly is as guilty of abandoning the child she spoils. As if she cast him forth and for her evil neglect, there shall fall upon her the righteous punishment of shame and ignominy. I can't even say the word. I want to say ignominy, but they said that's not how you say it. If you hate your child, let them have their way. 
If you dislike your child, give them their way. Give them everything they want. Let them do what they want to do. But if you love your child, you'll tell them to be back in 30 minutes. Is that too tough? Well, the fact is, I don't care what you think. <laughs> it's not too tough. I, I mean, I care what you think, but not really. James Dobson tells <laughs> a story about a little boy and his mother who went to the auto shop to have their car repaired. Inside the waiting room was another woman whose car was being repaired. And this mother came in with her son, Mark, who was five years old. Mark quickly spotted the soft drink machine, told his mom he wanted to drink. She said no. He evidently thought that her no was not final. Mothers, let your no be final. And if he persisted, he would get his drink. So he started demanding a drink. She finally came over and, or he finally came over and hit her on the knee. Remember the part about he will not die. He, if it had been mine, he would have be thinking he was dying. Saying she didn't love him because she wouldn't buy him this drink. Now, y'all sitting here think, listening to this, and you're thinking of many occasions when you've seen this exact same thing happen. Not in the same auto shop. But anyway, when, when that didn't work, he threw himself down on the floor, started kicking and pounding the floor. He wanted a drink. Reminds me of an Andy Griffith episode with Opie. After this went on for a while, the other woman finally reached over and tapped the mother on the shoulder and said, Please, please discipline your child. He will thank you someday if you'll only learn to discipline him. And I would have added to that, and we'll thank you too. James Dobson said, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to tap someone on the shoulder and say, please discipline your child. It's not being abusive to discipline your child if you discipline them in love. That's the role of a mother. Now, you've heard me say, and I still stand by it, guys, fathers, we should be the heavy. We should be the heavy in the house. We shouldn't leave all the discipline up to mama, but sometimes mama has to. Sometimes wait till daddy gets home is not enough. Some, you know, maybe they need to both. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust you now, and then when daddy gets home, we'll, we'll see what he does. Susanna Wesley was the mother of Charles Wesley and John Wesley and 15 other children. And you read about her, how she made time for each child. She was a great manager of time. But she had, she had these six rules that she would abide by, and I give them to you, uh, if, if, um, once they're all up on the screen, if you want them, just take out your phone and take a picture. Actually, they won't be all at the same time, so. Figure it out. <laughs> Rule number one, subdue self-will in a child. Didn't say break their spirit. It said subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save his soul. Now, this is not my rule. This is Susanna Wesley. Rob and Cindy have 12. They had 17. So they figured something out. Number two, moms, listen to this. Teach him to pray as soon as he can speak. 
Teach him to pray. You don't have to have long, eloquent, theologically sound prayers. He doesn't have to sound like a seminary graduate. But teach a child to pray if, when they can say a few syllables. Start, start. Thirdly, give him, of course, this is her, give him or her, this, give him nothing. I guess because the boys always give you trouble, but nothing he cries for and only what is good for him if he asks for it politely. So if they start crying and want to pitch a fit, well, that's, that did that. Hmm. Fourthly, to prevent lying, punish no fault which is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Now, we've all been guilty of that. We've, we tried to turn our head to, to punishment and, you know, we're to <laughs> more than once, uh, my bride would have our two oldest in the car with her and they'd be going somewhere. And she said, boy, when we get home, you're going to get it. <laughs> and when they'd get home, Adam would say, mom, did you forget you were going to give us a spanking? <laughs> and of course, Jason wanted to beat up Adam. Because what we, what do you want to do? You want to try to act like you forgot. You want to act like you didn't remember. Because you don't want to have to go through with it. It's no fun. Susanna Wesley says, never allow a sinful act to go unnoticed. The fifth one that she gives is to commend and reward good behavior. See, it's not all negative. Commend and reward good behavior. I learned a little principle way back when we, we were being certified to teach in the accelerated Christian, accelerated, anyway, AC, accelerated, accelerated Christian education. And the guy who, who taught the class said, here, I'll give you a principle. Second Timothy 3.16, the word of God is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof and uh, correction, instruction, and righteousness. He said, here you have, a, you have a positive, you have two negatives, and a positive. If you want to engage, if you want to discipline a child, if you want to engage with anybody, here's a good pattern to go by. Start off with some positive aspect of what's going on. Deal with the negatives, but always end with the positive. Don't, don't, don't just you know, beat the child half to death and walk out of the room. Well, first of all, don't beat the child half to death. <laughs> Let's make sure we're clear there. But end on a positive. But don't don't uh, neglect the negative part of that equation. Well, that was free. You don't no, no extra. Commend and reward good behavior. And then lastly, she said, strictly observe all promises you have made to your child. Don't ever break a promise to your child. If you tell them you're going to do something, do it to your own hurt. No matter what it costs you, no matter what you got to give up, do it. Fourthly, the fourth point is mothers are comforting and nourishing. And, and, and children need that. And we'll just look at two verses. A mother, Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you. There's, there's an aspect of God that is comforting. And in, it is inherent in mothers to communicate that, that attribute of God of comforting and nourishing. 
Uh, Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion for the child of her womb? And, and this is what children need. They especially need this. And a mother has more freedom to administer this comforting and nourishing if father is active in their life. Because the father is going to say, don't bleed on the carpet. When he gets, when the kid gets hurt, at least that's what I say. I don't know. You may not have any carpet, but so when you have that father who is a little firmer and, and, and a little rougher, you need the comforting side from mother. We watched yesterday, we were at a soccer game. I'm not going to tell you all that we saw, but, uh, <clears throat> but uh, we watched the coach's son, young, young kid. I don't know if he was seven or eight. He got hurt. Imagine a kid getting hurt in a soccer field. Mm, okay. That's another, anyway. So the coach grabs his young son up, throws up him on his shoulder. Of course, he's running, he's walking to the sideline with him, and the kid's crying his eyes out. And we all know that in 10 minutes, it's going to be like nothing ever happened. But anyway, he's crying like it's the end of the world. And mama, mama runs up to the fence. What, she's going to comfort and nourish her child. And daddy says, go sit down. Puts him on the bench, and within 30 seconds, it's like never, nothing ever happened to him. Well, you need both of those. Children need both of those. And we don't need to take either one of them away from them. And so mothers, um, embrace the fact that you're wired, you're built to nourish and to comfort a child in their distress. Doesn't mean fathers can't, but today's Mother's Day, so we're talking about mothers. Finally, we're just going to finish up. On spiritual motherhood. Because no matter who you are, what age you are, how many children you've had or haven't had, you can offer spiritual motherhood to anyone uh, that needs it. And let me tell you that in our world today, there is a plethora of children, both male and female, who need the influence of a godly person. And young women, especially, need the influence of some godly mothers, godly women, not always mothers, in their life. You may not have ever born a child, but you can teach someone how to walk with God because you're walking with God. Titus, and you turn if you want to, says, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, you can determine whether or not you're an older man, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, again, you can decide whether you're one of them or not, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so we're just picking up the, the older women become examples uh, and admonish younger women how to live this godly life, how to live a life of holiness, uh, how to say nothing but the truth concerning others, to not be an accuser, how to not be controlled by substance. We talked about that earlier, and to speak of good things. And it says the younger women should should embrace and endeavor to be teachable, to love their family, to be self-controlled, to be pure in their lives, 
to take care of the home. That doesn't just mean sweep the floor, by the way. Be subject to their husbands. For there's order in the home and protecting the honor of the Word of God, not reviling the Word of God. Because when people watch you and they watch me, and they know we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we act like something different than what the truth of the Scripture teaches, you know what they say, I thought they were a Christian. We have reviled the Word of God when we display the wrong thing. And so look for opportunities in the spiritual motherhood category for, especially you, you ladies, for young women who need mentors, who need someone that can speak into their life, can walk with them through life. They need that. It's obviously true for young men too, but we're, again, we're talking about mothers today. So I'll finish with two scriptures and we'll be dismissed. There is a generation that does not bless its mother. Let it not be ours. Mothers, fathers, let it not be your children. That is that generation that does not bless its mother. And finally, let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Don't you think that's good? Stand with me.